when would it be in their best interest to say, you know what, you got enough of the vaccine, you're good to go. You don't need any more boosters. So we can't sell you any more products. Hey everyone, my name is Al Gugliotta and I wanna welcome you to The Unlearning Project. I got Timothy Messina, one of my good friends. One of my good friends, I'm friends with him. You know, he's huge, my friend. (laughs) We've been friends a long time. We work out, we go to the gym. (laughs) We go to the gym together a lot. You haven't seen it. I don't know if you've seen Al, but he's huge. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Timothy Messina. I've been friends with him a long time. We spent like a lot of time on the fitness trail during this COVID epidemic. We have. Just talking about investments and philosophy and all that stuff. A lot of good things happening on the fitness trail. That was the silver lining of the epidemic was the fitness trail. Well, yeah. I mean, when everything's locked down, the fitness trail was open. You can't lock that down. It's outside. Exactly. And for anybody that doesn't know. It's in a business park. Yeah, it's basically a park designed for fitness, obviously, but like there's like 20 different stations. You can do pull-ups, push-ups, sit-ups, and it's like a beautiful kind of area. Lots of trees, lots of vegetation, big lake. Exactly. So basically you go there, you get a workout in, you do some running. So you got me onto that place. We met up like many, many times there, but I've went on my own like three times a week during this whole pandemic just to get outside. It's awesome. Yeah, it was great. It's funny, yeah, because there's 20 stations, but we use like five. Yeah. Because we're doing the pull-ups, we're doing the push-ups, we're doing the dips. That's right. And, you know, there'll be families. We're doing all the meathead stuff. <laughs> yeah, the meathead. And then the families start at one, and they go to two. They do the stretching. They do, and standing on like a wooden pole. I mean, they're random. Yeah. They just made up shit, basically. Like, stand on this wooden pole and then jump to this other wooden pole. and Like, what do we do with the kids today? Oh, let's take them to the fitness trail. Yeah. Just have them stand on wood and walk around on gravel. That's right. Yeah. Again, free and freaking, you know, outside and beautiful. So it was nice. So today we're going to talk about the big short. And I've mentioned it on the podcast before, like partially about the movie, but getting into like the contrarian views and like in a nutshell for anybody that hasn't seen it, it kind of goes over that 2008, 2009 housing market collapse and kind of like a story about what was his name? Michael Berry. Michael Berry. Yep. Christian Bale. Right. And he plays the hedge fund manager who's basically betting against the housing market. He thinks the housing market's going to tank right? before, obviously, it tanks. Exactly. I think he predicts it in 06, but then he's two years too early. Right. But the beauty of that movie is like, it kind of plays it out. Like you see the criminal activity, like just unfolding. It's so criminal. It's such white collar, like on a large scale and... The downside of the movie is obviously nobody gets held accountable. The funny part of the ending is that they do this mock ending, like, and everybody got like their hand slapped and everybody went to jail and everybody that had wrongdoing was sent to jail and had to pay back fines. And they're like, nah, that really didn't happen. Like one guy that nobody heard of actually did a little bit of jail time, I think. Right. Some paper pusher. Yeah. But meanwhile, Billions upon billions of dollars were lost and people lost their homes. And I mean, it literally, it's got to be the crime of the century, right? Right. I totally agree. I don't know how these guys got away with all that they did. Yeah. When you got money, maybe, you know, you pay off the right people, you know, your name's on anything. Creative. Yeah. Creative financing. uh, Financing, I think. 
Yeah. You know, you're able to kind of get around the, I guess, the law in that sense. But yeah, they're creating securities out of thin air. So basically they're like packaging these mortgages. And this is like going into like the crime of this. Basically, they package these mortgages into securities. Mm-hmm. Then they sell these securities to, you know, people like me and you, average Americans, investors, but they get this AAA rating from the freaking rating agencies. SP and Moody's are the quote unquote independent rating agencies that are supposed to unbiasedly check these investments and see what their quality is. Exactly. And they're just slapping AAA rated quality standards on these mortgage-backed securities. Meanwhile, they're complete shits. Like They're the worst things ever. They're people that are about to default on their mortgages. And so you find out in the movie that the rating agencies are being paid by the banks that are selling the securities. So it's like not unbiased at all. It's like they're getting paid off. It made no, I mean- No checks and balances. Yeah. Like when you watch- Where's the checks and balances? There's no checks and balances. They literally get away with murder, basically. They rob the entire US economy. The U.S. taxpayer winds up bailing it all out, right? All those people that got rich off of these investments never had to pay a dime back. Mm -hmm. It's really heartbreaking. It's a great movie, and it's like so entertaining. I've seen it like 10 times. But it's like, man, I watched that, and you get that sinking feeling, yeah. There was an interesting scene where I think it was Mark Baum, played by uh, Steve Carell, Mm -hmm. went into, I think it was S&P or Moody's, and... They had a conversation. Said, "Well, you're the regulators. You're supposed to, you know, regulate. Where's the downgrades, right, for these mortgage-backed securities?" And she, I don't know, who knows if this is actually real, but she said, "Well, they'll just go down the street, go to Moody's down the street, and Moody's will give them what they want." So, yeah, we have to give them a good rating, or they'll go take their business elsewhere. That doesn't make sense. Oh man, whether or not that actually happened, but that was the gist of what was going on, right. And then the whole idea with, what's his name? Brad Pitt plays that when he says, he he has that quote where he talks about- Ben Reichert or something, Reichert. Yeah, right. I think he played in the movie, his name was Ben, yeah. Okay, yeah. And he had the two guys that he made rich are like dancing. Yeah. And he's like, stop dancing. He's like, you realize for every 1% of unemployment, 30,000 people die. Right. I was like, holy shit. And think about that. This isn't like just money. This is like people dying. People lose their homes. What happens when people lose their homes? I mean, they fall into poverty. God knows what else. Drug addiction. The collateral damage based on all of that stuff, it's not just money. It's like you're literally like affecting people's lives. Mm. So I don't know. I thought that that movie was crazy on that sense. It was. That was the scene. I think they went to like Las Vegas to some securitization (laughs) or some conference where they had all these mortgage bankers who chop up all these securities and they yep. they put them in these tranches and then they sell them off, right? Tranches and CDOs, right. CDO, synthetic CDOs. Oh my. Yeah. They did a good job dumbing it down. They did. For, you know, from someone like myself. Me too. To really fully understand what the heck was going on. I had no clue before they explained the way they did. I didn't know how it like compounded out. Like now you could bet on this bet and that, and then you could bet on that bet. And it just was like this big pyramid scheme, like a house of cards. Exactly. But once the underlying asset, the house or the <laughs> or the consumer stops paying right, and the home prices collapse and the consumer stops paying their mortgage. You got 10 <laughs> bets down the line. They're all losing. Yeah. All the bets are gone because the first bet, the underlying bet has faltered and yeah. everyone loses. And that's what happened in a nutshell. Yeah. And so basically tying it back to the contrarian view. So Michael Berry, Michael Berry? Yeah. 
He's the hedge fund guy. He's the contrarian. So basically, everybody's betting with the housing market because what's happening is like housing prices are going up. If anybody remembers 08, 09, you know, you couldn't lose money in the market. You just buy houses, all the values go up. So everybody just thinks it's going to happen forever. There's no thought process of like, well, you know, next year the housing market's going down. It's like, no, like within three years, a lot of people double their money with houses they bought. So this guy, like out of nowhere, is like, you know, he goes through all of the research. He looks into like all of the securities that are inside of these mortgage backed securities. And he's like, these are all going to be defaulting very soon, which means, and if they default, then the housing market's going to collapse. And so he starts betting against the freaking housing market. But oh my God, the criminality is so deep that. Yeah, it was wild because there was no way to short the housing market. So they had to create. Yeah, to create. They had to create these contracts. I'm not going to go into the strategies or how to even do that or what they did. That's way beyond my understanding. Yeah, he created his own market. Yeah. But yeah, it's crazy. I went to each bank and made these bets. And the banks were like, are you crazy? Are you stupid? They laughed at him. Millions of dollars in premiums to all these banks. Right. Because he was convinced he was right. So he had to go. He's literally paying for insurance, right? Right. He wants insurance because when the, <laughs> there's a scene where he's like, when you guys go under, he's talking to Goldman Sachs, right? He's like, when you guys go under, I want to make sure that my investment's protected. <laughs> they're looking at each other like, what? And they're like, are you out of your minds? Goldman Sachs goes under? <laughs> like, we're Goldman Sachs. Who are you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And he was, in, uh, he was an interesting character. He has a glass eye, yeah. Michael Berry. And he's a numbers guy. It's kind of like on the spectrum, I think. He might have like Asperger's a little Maybe. bit. Maybe, yeah, definitely. He doesn't know how to work people. You know, he's not a salesman by any means. No. He's more of a loner. And, you know, he saw the numbers. He did the research. Mm-hmm. And he saw an opportunity. So, yeah. And it took a long time for it to pay off. Like he was hurting for a long time. So it wasn't like he just made this bet and it was like, bam, you know, he like made a shitload of money. Yeah. He had to wait years. Right. In the show notes, we're going to... Maybe we could throw that scene in if you want to put that scene in. (laughs) But yeah, it was a scene where his biggest investor, Lawrence, comes in the room and he's basically cursing at him. Yeah, saying, I want my money back. And he's like, you better. I want my money back. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and there's a lawyer's there and he's making comments at him. You know, he's like, you get your hair cut at Supercuts or something, you wear sandals. You know, (laughs) he's listening to Metallica when they walk in the room. That's right. Yeah. He was paid just to be the numbers guy, just to do the research. Right. He's an interesting character. So it's a pretty good clip if you want to show a minute of it or so, listen to it. Yeah. His character and the Mark Baum character that was Steve Carell. Those are the two most interesting guys. Yeah. He was an interesting character because his brother committed suicide. That's right. His brother jumped from a building. Yeah. So he was, he was bitter. He was a dark guy. Yeah. Definitely like dark personality. Yeah. Weird dude. The whole contrarian view I did, I found the definition of it. It says purchasing or selling in contrast to prevailing sentiment of the time. So you're doing things reverse of like the sentiment of the time. So like right now, well, let's just just take, for instance, like the tech bubble, right? You were talking about 2000, like everybody wanted to be in tech stocks, you know, every dot com was like doing really well. And then everybody saw in 2000 the bubble bursts. So a contrarian would have been betting against tech stocks or doing like, I don't know, more of like the value stocks at that point. The value plan. Not going growth, they'd go value. 
It's like doing the reverse of what all of the herds are doing. So if you're watching like CNBC and everyone's touting about how great the economy is doing or this sector of the market's doing well, a contrarian does the reverse, right? Right, exactly. But you look at it, it's like, are you just going against the crowd just to go against the crowd? Right. Are you trying to stick out and be different? Or do you have an edge? What's your edge, right? Yeah, you're not just willy-nilly just going against what everybody's thinking. You have research behind it. Exactly. You want to be a great market research. You want to kind of know your subject very well. Yeah. And then decide what direction you want to go. Maybe the crowd is right. Maybe. Are you going to be contrarian enough? Well, they're right for a little while. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that was the other part of the contrarian. They have to like be patient, right? Because a lot of times they are right, but Mm -hmm. they're not right right now. Like they have to wait a couple of years, just like, you know, Michael Berry character. He has to wait until everybody hates him. Like everybody's, he's getting emails. He's getting like attorneys threatening him. Right. People filing lawsuits against him to get their money back. And then eventually he makes a killing. Like, right. He makes like 500 times his money or whatever it is. Yeah, it was something up uh, 489%. 489%, yeah. I think it was the number. Finally. It was negative for so long now. It was negative, though. Yeah. Even people at his job were like, maybe you're wrong. Right. You know, And he's like, I can't be wrong. I can't. Yeah. You know, he's so convinced. So it makes you wonder, to be that way, do you have, like you said, maybe he's on the spectrum. Do you need to have maybe something missing there? Because I don't know. I don't know if I could hold off that long. If I had people cursing at me, I had investors you know, wanting my want their money back. I have, yeah. you know, all your circle kind of telling you you're crazy and you're going to be a loner for a little while. You have to be okay with that. Yeah. Test your conviction. Exactly. And this all leads me into, I know we've talked about this before. We talk about this on the fitness trail. <laughs> I always go from this. So people don't trust the banks after that, right? Uh, no. People don't trust oil companies. Remember like that Exxon oil <laughs> spill, like After they had that spill and like destroyed, you know, pictures embedded in my head of birds covered in oil and like, you know, you you just don't trust these companies. You know, they're out to make money. Right. They've screwed the public over many times. Um, What other industry? Well, the one that it leads me right into is the pharmaceutical industry, right? (laughs) Yeah. I was about to say. Yeah. So you go to the pharmaceutical (laughs) industry and you look at like the opioid epidemic, just that alone, right? Sacklers, the Sackler family. Sackler family. What was it? The Purdue Pharma, like they created, what is it? It was Vicodin and Oxycontin. Oxycontin. Oh, God. So there's a great documentary on that, by the way. I think it's called The Crime of the Century or something. I haven't seen that. It's worth watching. You got to watch it. Is that the one? There's a movie with like Michael Keaton that's about like the pharma industry. Yeah. It's more of like a drama. It's not a documentary though. This is a documentary. Yeah. Okay. But it's great. I mean, it goes through all the stuff that they did. They had like commercials they put out, like music. Only 1% of the population gets addicted to Oxycontin. They said that. Only 1%. I'm like, one. Well, are you guys out of your mind? It's like the most addictive. It's freaking pharmaceutical heroin. Uh, I mean, And they were pushing for more prescribing to the doctors to do more and more. Oh, yeah. Oh, you got a little back pain? Yeah, here, have some Oxycontin. And I know Diana, your wife was in the <laughs> pharmaceutical industry. So it's not all bad. Obviously, they do a lot of good. I mean, without the pharmaceutical industry, people die of all kinds of different things. You know, there's a lot of good that's done, but it does good. The bad always outweighs the good, right? Yeah, it's always publicized. Just go online and read Amazon reviews. You know, it's like you want to look at the bad ones first. Right. When you're angry, you're the most likely to complain and write a review. 
as when you're happy sometimes, I think. Yeah. I mean, even like the oil industry. So like the Exxon Valdez oil spill, I just remember that as a kid, like that big oil spill covered like <laughs> some ridiculous, uh, like the size of Rhode Island was like a giant oil spill in the middle yeah. of the ocean. <laughs> but then you think of like oil has like fueled the economy for a century or more. Right. There's a lot of good that was done with oil. So it, like you said, it's hard. You get skewed. You always want to like, you look at the negative, you focus on the negative, the media plays out the negative. Yeah, that's kind of it's what we see. That sells more, right? Negative news tends to sell more than good news, I would say. Maybe. Yeah. And they're corporations. They have to make money for their shareholders. So that's what gets me into the pharma pharmaceuticals with the <laughs> vaccines. Again, I've said yeah, on this yeah. podcast multiple times, I'm like, the vaccines, I believe, are good. I believe they work. I'm not against them. I'm not an anti-vaxxer. But- yeah, right. I'm scared. <laughs> How do you leave it up to the company that's making it? You leave it up to the company that's making it to tell you whether or not you should get more of it. All right. Like, so now you need a booster. And maybe six months from now, you need another booster. Yeah. Pfizer's making money every time you get bit of a conflict. A little bit of a cut, right? Is, is, where's the independent <laughs> rating agency on that? Aren't they like <laughs> they're rating their own stuff, right? Well, I guess that's where you look at outside. They do studies right. outside independent groups. I mean, if you seek them out, they're not always put out in the news, but there are a bunch of studies about efficacy of the vaccine, how safe it is, right. side effects. And I was actually just, my buddy had sent me one yesterday, you know, just yeah. about the heart inflammation and, and about right. heart cardiac rhythmias and what it does. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it has side effects. So something right. that has a side effect like that makes you wonder, shouldn't there be a choice? I mean, I don't know, maybe there should be if there is a known side effect, but it's only impacting a small, I guess, portion of, you know, people who take the vaccine, but there's still a risk. Yeah. And I'm just talking just from a very simple standpoint, from a corporation standpoint. Yeah. When is Pfizer or any company that's making like a vaccine, when would it be in their best interest to say, you know what, you got enough of the vaccine, you're good to go. You don't need any more boosters. So we can't sell you any more products. I mean, they're kind of incented to say, yeah, you know, you're better off taking more of our products, right? Yeah, of course. It's like saying, here's a bottle of Oxycontin. When you're done with this, you're good to go. It's like, no, we want you hooked and we want you on this product for a long time so that you keep buying from us. Yeah. So I don't know. It gets a little, little sticky there. It does. I think that's where a lot of the distrust happens. Right. I mean, when you have distrust in our institutions mm -hmm. and you have, like you said, you have the past of the Sacklers and yeah. Purdue Pharma. How can you not learn from the past? Yeah. You'd be a fool to not question it a little bit. Right. But uh, we're in uncharted territory. I mean, there's a pandemic. COVID is real. I believe that. Right. Vaccines, yes. I do think benefits some, but they're not perfect. No. I like talking to you about this because like you're more moderates. You know, if I talk to somebody that's <laughs> from the far left, you just don't go anywhere. Who would that be? Or somebody <laughs> We're not going to name any names. They won't name any names, exactly. We love all of our friends. We, we do. Love all our we do. We just don't talk with them. You know, we all go to the beach once a year and we hang out and we hash out our views. That's right. <laughs> you know. <laughs> right. Yeah, the lip cards. Some of yeah. us make it, some of us don't. <laughs> yeah, on either side. Like, if you're hard left or hard right, I'm like, it's so hard to have a conversation because it is. you have the friend that texts you all the time. I have friends that... <laughs> far left that like are texting me and like, man. So like when I talk with you, it's like, yeah. you have a different view, but at least you could be open to like, you know, I'll throw out 
with most people from the left think is like a conspiracy theory. I'm like, how is it a conspiracy theory? It's a company that produces product. They want you to buy more of their products. So why wouldn't they tell you that you need more vaccine? It just kind of makes sense to me. I don't think that's a big conspiracy. It's just, that's the way companies go, you know? Right. So anyway, so we were talking also about going back to the contrarian view, Warren Buffett, would you consider him contrarian? Warren Buffett, he's a value investor, right? Yeah. So yeah. How can we start off Warren Buffett without maybe throwing in his quote, right? He's not going in. Yeah. Be fearful when others are greedy and be greedy when others are fearful. Yep. That's the contrarian view right there. Yeah. You want to be buying when there's blood in the streets. <laughs> That's what, uh, yeah. Even if it's your own blood, right? Aaron Rothschild, even if it's your own blood. That's harsh. I mean, think about it. When you're losing money, like the last thing you want to do is invest more, right? Like you're down 30%. And you have this money on the sideline that you could invest. And you're like, oh, shit, like money's it's going down. That's kind of what it means. There's blood in the streets. You're down 30%. You better double down if you can and try to put more in. I got some stocks. I mean, you are, I'm down 50% on some and I'm just holding. Yes. You know? And it's hard. It's hard. It's hard. And then it's hard to buy more. To put new money in. Yeah. You see the indices at all time high. Yeah. The indexes, but yeah, growth stocks like a Teladoc or I'm not, yeah. you know, giving any, <laughs> giving any advice, but uh, like I own like a lemonade and I'm down like, you know, 50%, which is like an insurance company. So it's crazy. You know, you just got to have the cliche, but you got to have the conviction yeah. to stay in and not sell when you're down and buy when it's down. As long as you, you know, you've done some of your research, if you haven't done any research and you just bought blindly, I'm sorry. That's the kind yeah. of, uh, price you got to pay. I call it kind of like a stock market university. Yeah. You know, you got to pay the tuition of being in the stock market. Ugh. And if you sell when you're down, if you buy high and sell low, sorry. There's your lesson. There's your lesson. There's your PhD in investing. And I've done that. And I was, uh, let's go back to 2008. We're talking <laughs> about the financial crisis. Mm -hmm. What was I doing in 2008? Had, Tim's in the mortgage industry. <laughs> when the financial crisis, I was in the mortgage business. Yes. But I own some stock then. I own some mutual funds and some index funds. And when I saw the, the Dow just collapsing, and I look at my buddy across from me who actually was kind of like a, I don't know, quasi-stock trader he claimed to be. Mm -hmm. And I look at him and I said, at the time, I really didn't have a lot of experience in stocks. I was like, what do I do? And he looked at me and he goes, do you want it to go to zero? I said, no. Jeez. Oh, and he said, then, then sell. Wow. And I was like, Phew. I merely called, you know, there was really no online brokers back then in 2008, 2009. Right. So I just called my guy at the bank. Mm -hmm. and it was like $25 commission fee to sell or buy. Yep. And I said, sell, sell it. it all. You know, sell everything. Sell it all. I'm going to have a lot of money. Yeah. It wasn't anything crazy, but for me, it was. And the worst mistake, you know, I, I should have been doing the opposite. Yeah. I didn't know any better. But again, you learn. Everybody goes through something like that in one form or another. I had it happen with real estate in 08. So I bought two pieces of real estate in 07 at the beach. I get two beach houses because I think I'm a big swinging, you know what? Ah. You know, I'm like, yeah, let me get two beach houses. They're going to double in value. I bought into what everybody else bought into. I'm going to rent them out. After I rent them out for a few years, I'm going to double my money. I'm going to make a killing. And then kabam. You know, the opposite happens. Oh, wait, happens. Yeah. So I had a short sell one of them. The other one, like literally by the skin of my teeth, I held on to it and sold it a few years ago. But that was, again, another freaking mistake, but a learning lesson. Now, like 
very like leery of like just going into like jumping into real estate or jumping into a random stock or it just makes you a little more cautious. The worst thing it can do is it's okay if it makes you cautious, but if it prevents you from investing in the future, that's where it messes a lot of people up. Yeah. It scares the shit out of them and then they never get back in. And then that's the worst thing that can ever happen, right? right? Because now you never reap any of the benefits from investing because you got so scared. You got shell shocks. I agree. I mean, it's a risk. Yes. But you know what? No one's ever gotten anywhere without taking risk. Yeah. You know, if you want to be average, you don't take risk and you just go about whatever you want to do. If you want, say, above average returns, let's say on an investment or on anything you do, education. Yeah. Move somewhere new. Anything that you want to do in life, working out, right? If you go to the gym, I see some guys at the gym. I mean, they're lifting five pounds and they're doing it 30 times. I'm like, why don't you up the weight Yeah, to maybe 25 pounds and do it five times and do that and work your way. They're doing the same things each time. You're going to get no results. You're wasting your time. And most people do that. Yeah. And they look the same for 10 years. Yeah. Like 10 years they've been going. It's easy. It's easy. It's easy to be average. It's easy. To... I'm in that trap. I, I like to be average a lot of times because it's just easy. The last episode we did was called risk management or risk assessment. Yeah, I listened to it talking about my son. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We talked about your son and that. Yeah, I mean, skateboarding, that kind of create like you need to like, the only way you're going to progress is by taking risk and inherent with taking risk is loss. Sometimes it's not all gains. If everybody just won all the time, then everybody would gamble all the time. And they always say the worst thing that could ever happen for a gambler is that they win. <laughs> You know, yeah. if they lost a bunch of times, they finally stopped doing it. Right. But when they win, they think it's always going to happen. I agree. It's interesting. You want to win, but you really have to know when to check that. Especially, I mean, gambling is, we're probably getting more an addiction there than anything. But right. that's where it's like, well, if you can't, <laughs> you know, and, and stocks and investing can be like gambling too. It was, yeah. Plenty of that went on last year and, and this year. So I wonder like with the herd mentality, with all of this like contrarian view. So the new index fund investing kind of wave, everybody's like wants to invest in like Vanguard index funds because they're the lowest cost. They track like overall stock market performance. And part of me is like, everybody's now doing that. I've read studies that like 50% of money that's invested in the total stock market are in some form of index funds. And I'm kind of thinking to myself, I'm like, how could that possibly go wrong? You know, like if everybody's now believing that, because what happened, and I've said this before in the podcast too, from 2000 to 2010, drop your money into the S&P 500, you would have had a 0% return, if not lost a little bit of money. You would have 10 years that you could invest in that money. Think about like investing your money and 10 years from now, you've made zero. You're never going to stick with that, right? Right. There's a quote by... Who's the guy who made up index investing? Oh, Bogle. Bogle. So he put out a quote and he said, instead of searching for the needle or, or looking for the needle, just buy the haystack. Buy the haystack. Yeah. Something like that. Right. And, you know, he has an interest because he started index <laughs> investing. So obviously that's going to be good. For the mainstream, I think index investing makes sense. I do too, but I'm always looking at what am I missing? You know, am I missing something? Is like something going to happen to the index fund industry? I don't know, because it seems like everybody's going that route now. Right. I know. I totally agree. And what people should do is they should look at that and be like, well, if the crowd is going all index investing, maybe I can do some of that, but learn a little bit about individual investing right. in stocks. Because at least you have, you know, say 75% of your portfolio in, 
like the NASDAQ or the Dow or the S&P 500. And then take 25% and gamble a bit on stocks that you like in some areas that you know. Take some stocks. Yeah. I think then you'll outperform it in a way that could be looked at as contrarian view because you're not totally just invested in indexes. You're also looking at some companies that you might have an edge in. I always thought the downside of the indexes, and this is, I'm an investment person, but again, this isn't advice and I don't know much about, like, <laughs> I'm not an economist or anything like that. But it always seemed obvious to me if you're investing in an overall stock market index, can't like not even a seasoned investor, but somebody that could just, you know, look at the market, see like certain industries that are literally becoming extinct. Out of favor. Yeah. Yeah, Or not even out of favor, like maybe just going away altogether. Like, for instance, like we always talk about Tesla and the electric car industry. And I mean, there's a lot of noise around the big, you know, GMs, Fords, like all of those companies either consolidating or going out of business because all of their business is revolved around internal combustion engines. All their factories are designed to build those types of cars. You can't just flip a switch and say, all right, we're going to take this factory and now build electric cars. It's a whole different factory. It's like, you're going to replace everything, right? Right. So why wouldn't you, if you're looking at an index, there's a lot of stuff in that index that can't you possibly predict that like that whole industry is getting crushed. Yeah. But they're going to stay in the index for as long as they're because the index is just made up of companies by size. So as their value goes down, they could potentially stay in the index but just bringing, you know, the returns down. Mm-hmm. I don't know, that's the way I think of indexes or how we can go wrong. But then people are like, "Well, you can't predict what investments are going to do." I'm like, "Some people can." I think that's also a contrarian view that it's been told to the public like you don't know what you're doing, investing's too complicated. Just throw it in an index. You can't possibly know what's going to be a good investment. You know, you're not an investment professional. You don't work for Goldman Sachs. I think a lot of that's bullshit. You know, right? But what way to to I guess not like I don't give any advice. But instead of buying an entire index and doing right, <laughs> exactly, no advice. <laughs> no advice here. But if you want, you could diversify through index. You could. You could just buy financial ETF. You could buy the healthcare ETF. Right. You could do sector. And you could just buy a basket of indexes in each industry. So one industry fails, another one will, you know, is obviously going to pick up from there. Right. Like, you know, I bought a semi, I bought a semi. Or international small cap or, yeah. Exactly. I didn't know who to buy in the semiconductor industry. I bought the semiconductor ETF, you know, and that includes like big companies like, you know, Qualcomm. Well, those are like more sector. Well, that's sector funds, but like- Sector funds, right. Yeah. So indexes, I just think of like a broad overview of like the entire stock market with all the sectors involved. Right. Yeah, you're right though. If you could do financials, you could do technology, you could do semiconductors, electric vehicles, you could do so many different things. Right. I don't want to get into the weeds and all that, but yeah, just- uh, Uh, (laughs) You're talking about Kathy Wood. Kathy Wood, you know, well, contrarians, right? Kathy Wood's a huge contrarian, Steve Jobs. Yeah, Totally. Elon Musk. And outside of investing, like Martin Luther King, you know, we don't have to get into yeah. all the particulars of that, but he is a contrarian, right? And if it wasn't for someone like him, we wouldn't have progress. We could get into whatever you want, Tim. Anything you want, we yeah. get into. <laughs> Martin Luther King, sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, but you're right. My only point is he made huge change. Right. And why? And unfortunately, you know, it led to his death. Probably. Yeah. Because it was used, but he still, his legacy lives on. So you kind of have to 
put your neck on the line for something you believe in mm-hmm. and hold true to that no matter what. And even to the end for some of these people, depending on what that change is. Right. Again, it goes back to like taking that risk and going against the, like with the herd mentality. I even saw a quote from Albert Einstein. It says, I think he said something along the lines of what is always popular isn't always right. I agree with that. Something along those lines. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. It's like everything's a popularity contest, right? Yeah. What is right is not always popular. And what is popular is not always right. Yeah. I agree with that. Absolutely. So there's some interesting contrarians in the past and the way they look at it. Yeah. And just having a contrarian like mindset in like every aspect of life. I think that's why I've had so many kind of like intense discussions about like whatever, like the vaccines and the shutdowns and all that stuff. Cause I'm, I feel like I'm just by nature a contrarian. Right. Like, you're going to tell me if everybody's saying you got to do this, I'm like, why are you telling me that? Why is everybody saying you got to do this? They may be right. I'm not saying they're wrong, but my first instinct, my knee jerk reaction is to be like, wait a second, let me look at an alternate view. Right. Like, let's look at a different angle of this, you know? It's as long as you, it's almost like contrarian is almost like, requires what critical thinking or the, or you have to come to the conclusion on your own, let people right. come to these conclusions. Don't tell them what they need to think. Yeah. And that's where it is. You know, you take something away from them and they're like, Oh, I want that. You know, if you, if you force it on them, they're not going to want it. It's just human psychology. So true. It's human psychology. Yeah. So what they should do is say, you can't have the vaccine. You can't have it. You can't have it. <laughs> you don't want this. <laughs> it's not yours. We're taking it away. Like a little kid. Do a little reverse psychology. Yeah. You know, but like, no, actually, it's too late. You can't have it anymore. We ran out. It's just the scientific method. Like everybody says, like, it's the whole big quote, you know, over the last couple of years, is like, follow the science, right? Follow the science. What does that mean? Does it mean what like Anthony Fauci says? Is he the science? Because if you ask him, he says he is. He's like, if you don't believe in it, right. Fauci, you don't believe in the science. But I always thought like scientific method was like trying to prove every idea wrong. So you just keep trying to prove something wrong until you can't prove it wrong anymore because it's correct. Like, because you're looking at it from every angle, you don't want something to be true. Like, that's not the point of science is us because, hey, I I really want this to be true. So I'm just going to say it's true. Right. Like, no, you got to prove it to be true. Right. Like, and you want your peers to all look at it and say, you know what? That's true. Or no, there's something wrong with that. Oh, okay. They got some peer review. You got people deciding. Same thing with investments too. Like, why would you... You have a good feeling about a certain stock and you get five other smart people around you saying, hey, have you looked at it from this standpoint? The balance sheet sucks. Did you notice that? What's the trajectory of like that industry? There's more critical thinking involved. And I feel like, especially in politics now, everyone's just spurting out like whatever they believe or whatever they feel at the moment. Right. And then they just project it to be truth. And it's like, that's why people don't trust it. They don't trust the information anymore. I know. It's like we have too much information coming at us. <laughs> yeah, too much information I don't, from all different point of views. It's like a fire hose of information. Yeah. We're just trying to tell you there's so many different and and a lot of good news now even goes beyond like um behind a paywall. Right. So it's like that's true too. You know, some people gotta pay to get the news. No one's gonna do that. Right. I think when cable TV kind of came around and cable news, yeah, that was kind of the downfall right there. Right. Cause it's like you have local news. And local news, that's what you used to watch. And you see what's going on in your area. Right. But then local news quickly, you know, got gobbled up by cable news. Yeah. And they lost funding. Even local newspapers lost funding. And I think they just went out of favor and lost money. And then it just went into the big conglomerates. And then they control the narrative. And then you get moment by moment atrocities of the world, like instantaneously in your feed, right? Like 
earthquake over here, you know, shooting here. And I'm like, do I need to know that? Do I need to know who got murdered in Chicago? I'm like, I don't live in Chicago. Is anything good happening? I mean, I want to be informed. This is like the weird thing too. Everybody always says like, well, you got to be informed. I'm like, you have to be informed about what's happening in Indonesia, that there was a typhoon and what are you going to do? What good is that serving you? Are you going to go fly out to Indonesia and go help people? No, you're not going to do anything. <laughs> but now it's in your brain. <laughs> no, it just makes you feel crappy. Right. You're like, oh, man, did you see what would happen in the Kazakhstan today? Right. I'm like, <laughs> no, I didn't. Uh, you know, sorry, I missed that. <laughs> it's just kind of like, yeah, I agree. It's the fire hose. It's too much information. Yeah, you really need to really reduce the type of news that you take in or really all news. If it's important enough, maybe we'll find you. I think that one of the best quotes I've ever, I don't even know who wrote it or said it, but it's like stand guard at the door. <laughs> it was you, Al, you said it. I think I made it up. I'll take credit for it. I think Al made it up. Until somebody disproves it. <laughs> yeah, it's a stand guard at the door of your minds. Like that's the best quality you could have is like standing guard at the door of your mind. Like whatever's coming in, you can't just let everything come in, right? you know, because you get persuaded and convinced and emotions get involved. Like you can't have like just this, like you say, fire hose of information coming in. You got to really be selective about what you have coming in. And that's the hardest thing. It's hard because then you talk to people, you know, like your friends, people in your household. They get in your head. And they're in your head. And yep, like you were saying the other day, we we're working out. We're like, it's like, dude, I never cared about politics. Never. I never thought about it. <laughs> He's like, I never thought about it. And now it's all that I hear. It's all people talk about. Yeah. And I was the same way. Like, I didn't really get into politics until a few years ago when I felt like, okay, maybe I should start watching this. And, you know, I'm still don't really fully understand anything that goes on, but I don't like it. To me, politics is like a waste of time. Yeah. It's just like, you just, I feel like I'm going in circles, like reading about politics. I don't know the history of it either. Like I have a friend that I get into discussions with where he's like, well, you realize during the Reagan era, you know, this happened and then Clinton came. I'm like, I don't know any of this shit. Like I didn't vote for anybody. I don't know what they did. I know one guy's a Republican. Like, I just don't know the history of it. I honestly, I'm not interested. Yeah. I think the only reason anybody's become interested, I think why people are so worked up over all this stuff is that we've been sitting at home mm. for two years, listening to the news. Right. Yeah. Pandemic. Like we just haven't been involved. Twitter, right? Trump kind of changed it too, where he made it a little more, I don't know, polarizing, I guess you could say. But all this was going on before Trump, you know, this is all pent up energy and anger and Trump just kind of took it all in fueled the fire and he exploited it yeah he's like oh okay i see your <laughs> anger i see your pain i check you here vote for me you know and you know and that's what got him into office but i think it's also people sitting at home listening to this stuff like most of the time before the pandemic they were commuting they were at work yeah now you take everybody that was at work and you just put them home right and now what are they going to do at home they're going to be on freaking youtube or whatever their news network wherever they get their information podcasts Again, they went from like a garden hose of information to a fire hose. Yeah. Just because they were like told you have to stay home. You know, I know it's happened to me. Like I was never involved in politics or never. I just never again, like never voted, never was interested. <laughs> now I find myself following like Ben Shapiro. And then I'm trying to get some of the left yeah. point of view on like podcast for America. And I'm like, I'm trying to get all the different sides and I still can't differentiate who's right and who's wrong. It's just all twisted. Everybody's so angry. Cause like you said, 
we're so, so divided, right? You got someone on the extreme left, someone on the stream, right? Yeah. And how are you going to find a middle ground when you're stream? You can't. You can't. You really can't. I mean, the only thing I think people agree on is, you know, they want to be happy. They want to be healthy. You know, they want a family. They want people around them that love them. But besides that, I don't know if we agree on anything else. I know. And it's almost like, all right, you know what? Let's just not even have the conversation. It gets to that point where you're just sort of like, let's just talk about something else. Really? You know what? Like when we go on these guys trips, like you mentioned like earlier in the episode, you're like, <laughs> go on these guys trips, we did maybe we do a few things about Trump or whatever politics, and then it's over. We're just bullshitting and you know, we don't talk about any of that. So like you don't want to like spend your time <sighs> I wasted on that, you know? I don't know. Right, right. We could waste it watching, you know, movies we haven't seen in 20 years. Yeah, so much more fun. And, you know, just get really drunk, <laughs> you know, and uh throw right, frisbees. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Throw frisbees on the beach and drink. Yeah. I'd rather just be average and do mindless things. I agree. I agree. Definitely more mindless stuff. Yeah, more mindless the better. Well, Timmy, it's been great. So, I mean, we hit on a lot of different things here. We did. So I saw an interesting quote from Jeff Bezos mm. from a couple of years ago. He goes, you know, the one thing about contrarians, they're always wrong. <laughs> they're always wrong. Yeah. I was like, that's a weird quote. What the heck? Yeah. It was like yeah, in reference to Peter Thiel and his political uh, views and stuff. Yeah. I think his point was contrarians that just take a view just to take a stance, just to be different and not actually have a reason. Just to be against whatever. Yeah. Just to be a douche. You know, they're just kind of like, all right. Right. Like, hey, I got this new innovation. Yeah. Like you're going to go left. I'm going to go right. Yeah. (laughs) You're going to eat pizza. I don't want pizza. I'm going to have a salad. Yeah. (laughs) I don't want to be like you. Right. For the sake of, yeah, no reason whatsoever. But I think that's why he said it. I mean, the guy is obviously a contrarian himself right. in so many ways, but I think he thinks of a contrarian as different. I think he thinks of somebody who is more of an independent thinker, he calls himself, yeah, where he comes up with his own conclusions and doesn't just take a stance just to be different from others. Yeah. So I think everyone's definition is different. Yeah. And I don't think you're going to make a lot of friends being like a contrarian, like in conversation. You know what I mean? Like every time somebody says something. You call him a devil's advocate, right? Right. Devil's advocate taking the opposite. Yeah. You're always going to play the other card. It's kind of annoying. (laughs) It is annoying, you know, and I don't want to be pinned that person, but sometimes, you know, it's like, you know, my friend will send me information about different things. I'm like, well, I don't know. I think this, I think they find it annoying sometimes that I'm always looking into other things, but I'm like, well, you can't just make an assumption based on a headline or based on a couple of articles you read. I mean, it takes time to figure these things out. And yeah. You got to kind of flesh it out, sleep on it, think about it a little more. It's just can't form an opinion on a couple of sentences. And it's funny, like a lot of what you're saying is from smart people. Like these aren't stupid people. I mean, some of them are, I guess, but I mean, like some people that are very intelligent see a headline and that's like their new belief. I'm like, well, wait, you just read that somewhere. Right. Oh, well, it feels true. You know, when something feels true, that's where it gets a little dicey for me. Yeah, I think it's just easy, yeah. you know, to go that route and be like, and you already have your worldview. This is what I believe. And now this just confirms it, right? Right. So now they don't want to go back and try to prove themselves wrong. They just want to keep proving themselves right, right. until they're so bitter 
that they think the world's out to get them. Confirmation bias, right? They're looking for stuff that's just going to confirm what they already believe. And we were talking about that other thing. The first thing that you hear is usually the thing that you believe. Mm. So if you hear like something about a topic, it's the first thing that you hear. It's like the sequence of when you hear it. If you hear the first thing, that's the one you're normally going to believe. Interesting. Even if the second thing that you hear is true, the first thing you heard is kind of stuck in your brain. Because that's all you remember. <laughs> yeah, no, right. It was the first thing you get, it went into your head. And then you're like, oh, yeah, I believe in that. That must be it. <laughs> Isn't it crazy? Our brains are crazy. That's like when my son asked me, he'll ask me a question. He'd be like, do you want to do this, this, and that? I always pick the first thing. I'm like, yeah, let's just do that. The first thing. <laughs> right. If you want to go out to dinner, yeah, let's go, just go here. First yeah, one. Yeah, let's do that first. Yeah. <laughs> It's just easier to do the first thing. Simple caveman brain. Yeah. (laughs) That's that's what it is. (laughs) You want to tax yourself with difficult things. That was the last podcast was interesting with Virginia mentioned that book she was reading was called the lazy genius or something. Lazy. Yeah. That's kind of cool. I never really thought of it like easy decisions. Right. Just get them out of the way. Yeah. Don't agonize over something so simple as what you're going to have for dinner. What are you going to wear? And save that mental capacity space for making big decisions like, yeah, buying a house, true. buying a car, or whatever you're doing. I thought that was kind of cool. Because like every decision has like a small energy tax, right? It's like sort of it's taking something away from you. Like even just like picking clothes. Like I think Obama had like all blue suits and the same ties and the same shirt. It was like, you know, exactly what he was going to wear every day. It was a non-decision. Mark Zuckerberg's like that too. I think he wears like a white t-shirt or something and jeans. Right. Yeah. And military guys like Jocko Willing, they do the same thing and they wake up Mm. at the same time. They make their bed, like just silly little things that you wouldn't think of, like just making your bed, which I don't do, but making your bed is like specifically like a good thing to do every morning. Come on, Al. Let's all uh, make your damn bed. (laughs) Yeah. She's always cleaning up after me. She hates it. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) You're the lazy genius. That's why. Lazy genius. Yeah. I got to download that on Audible. Check that out. Yeah, man. Well, cool, Timmy. Hi, brother. Thanks, Tim, for coming on the Unlearning Project here. Cool, man. It was fun. I appreciate it, buddy. Yeah. Let's get a workout in soon. Let's get a workout in. All right, buddy. All right, man. Take care, buddy.